Thanks for reading, Sue. Good morning, good afternoon, perhaps, almost from me as well. My name's Phil, I'm the Assistant Minister here. Let's start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glory of your word. May we be, may we be so excited and captivated by the new creation this morning that we want to live for that day now. In Jesus' name, amen. How long, O oh Lord, when will it all end? Maybe that's a question you've asked yourself in this recent season. Many others have asked that question down the centuries. And that question's been asked not just of life in general, but of God. How long, O oh Lord, asked Isaiah, the psalmist, and the writer of Revelation? And in the face of our current situations that we see around the world of war, of climate crises, food insecurity and famine, pandemic repercussions, inflation crises, and economic poverty. Maybe you've been asking that. When will it all end? And it's a question the Apostle Paul addresses here in this passage before us in Romans 8. And his simple answer to that great question of when it will all end is this. It will all end when God liberates creation from its bondage. Now Paul's writing to Christians in first century Rome, but his message is relevant for us today. It still stands true. It will all end when God liberates this creation from its bondage. Now we're carrying on in our series in Romans called Live a New Life. And today we're thinking about the new creation. So the first thing I want us to think about this morning is this. The new creation is coming. It's right there in verse 21. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. A day is coming when God will bring about the new creation. We don't know when, but he will do it. And it will be the solution to all of this world's problems. Now many might think it's a ridiculous thought that the ultimate solution to all the problems of our world is a new creation. Not only may that sound like superstitious nonsense to many, but it could even appear to make an allowance for avoiding the responsibility of good stewardship of this present creation. Look, Christian, never mind a new creation, just focus on this one, yeah? And of course, Christians are called to steward this creation well. And in fact, down the centuries, Christians have been at the forefront of alleviating the consequences of living in this fallen world. But it is nonetheless true that the ultimate solution to all of the problems of our world is the new creation. It's God's answer to this fallen creation. And it's a creation that is coming. Well, how do we know it's coming? Because God has promised to one day end the curse this world is under. 
From Genesis 3, right at the beginning, when sin entered the world at the fall, we now live in a world that, as Paul explains in verse 20, has been subjected to frustration. And subjected, if you see there, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. You see, as the sovereign ruler and creator, God has set creation in a bondage to decay, verse 21. As the creator, God alone has the authority and power to do what he wishes with his creation. And he has subjected his creation in this way. He's done it. And he's done it in response to human sin. And we see the evidence of that all around us. We live in a world which is not as it should be. We long for a better world. Because this world, in this creation now, we see that things are out of joint. We see human sin and wickedness manifest in so many ways. We can't carry on like this forever. The new creation is coming. You see, as much as God has, in his sovereign power, ordained to subject creation to this current bondage to decay, he's also ordained to one day liberate it. You see, verse 21, creation will be brought into a glorious liberation. The new creation is coming. And, secondly, the new creation will bring glorious freedom. You see, one day God will restore this creation fully. It will be a world liberated from decay. And, as you see in verse 21, a world brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There are a number of countries which have a Liberation Day parade annually, where they celebrate the moment when they were freed from an oppressive occupying force. Well, creation itself will have its own liberation day. As we see in verse 21, when it's freed from this bondage it's in to decay, as that new age begins. You see, all creation shares now in the curse of the fall. But as much as it shares in this present pain, it's also going to share in the coming glory. Creation in its entirety will be transformed. In fact, the new creation will be so different to this one that Paul explains in verse 18 that the two can't even be compared. It's not worth comparing them. They can only be contrasted. Now, we don't know all the specific details of the new creation, but one helpful way to grasp something of what it will be like is to consider all the things it won't be. And from our passage, we see a, a few big things. Firstly, there will be no more frustration, verse 20. The new creation will be a place where all the efforts we make in our work will no longer be frustrating. The land will no longer be a cause of frustration. For those of you who have a, a small allotment or maybe involved in industrial-scale farming, you'll know the frustration the land can sometimes cause. Think of Clarkson's farm, although I think a lot of that was self-imposed. But in the new creation, there'll be no potato blight. No frustration of the land. 
It will only ever be fertile and bountiful. There will be no more thorns or thistles that frustrate. And all our labour, whatever shape that may take as we serve God in the new creation, will no longer be painful and a toil, but it will be a great joy. So there'll be no more frustration, but there'll also, verse 21, be no more decay. Now we see decay all around us, don't we? In nature, the flowers are beautiful, but they fade and wither. I hope you've been watering them, by the way. Animals can be wonderful companions, but their bodies ultimately decay. Buildings humans construct, gardens we tend to, they ultimately decay. Just think of when you've perhaps been on holiday and you've seen great ruins. You see, the glory of one empire after another is only remembered in that rubble. And then, of course, we ourselves decay, don't we? Having had a mother who was a dentist, I frequently heard the word decay being referred to. Lots of sugar in that. Make sure you clean your teeth well before bed to avoid tooth decay. And that was only last night. (laughs) But we all undeniably decay, don't we? And, And this morning, a number of us will feel that reality in different ways. The other day, a fellow minister who was beginning to sense that spoke to me of how his body felt like it was a crumbling building that was slowly falling apart. So I told him to start eating clean and get in the gym. But no, I'm joking, but that's exactly what we see the world doing, don't, don't we? Trying to deal with this inevitability of decay. We see special diets being advertised or other means of medical intervention to delay the aging or delay the decay. But this decay, it's, it's inevitable. But the new creation will be a place where there will be no more physical decay. And the new creation will be a place where we're freed from moral and relational decay. You all know that feeling, don't we, of not living as we should. I think even those here this morning who perhaps haven't yet come to Christ will know that sense of not living up to their own standards. Looking back with regret. That sense of moral failing. In fact... It's something that Paul spoke about as an aspect of the Christian life. Recently we heard from that in Romans 7. You see, we won't have that happening anymore in this new creation where we're constantly compromising and choosing the wrong over the right even though we know. We'll have hearts set free of compromise and corruption. And our relationships will no more be vulnerable to breaking down and decaying, but rather they'll flourish as we perfectly live out what it looks like to love our neighbour. You see, where there's currently strife and injustice, violence, in the new creation there'll only be perfect righteousness, peace and joy. It's not pie in the sky, it's the world we all want. And it's a world that's coming. And we see also that the glory of the children of God, verse 21 will see us admiring the glory of Christ within us. You see, that glory will not just be revealed to us, but verse 18, it will be revealed in us. We will experience inwardly the glory of the new creation. It will be both outward and inward. 
the new creation will be a place of intense physical and spiritual flourishing. It will be a glorious place of freedom. Freedom from the pain of sin and freedom for the joy of righteousness. And finally, there'll be no more death. The new creation will be a place where, verse 23, our bodies are redeemed. We will be raised from death and given new bodies that will never decay or perish. I've never taken a funeral where people have said they're not too worried about the person they've just lost. We all long for life to go on and death to be no more. Well, it will be so in the new creation. And in summary, verse 21, we will be brought into the glory and the freedom of the children of God, free to live as God intends us to, following and worshipping him. The new creation will bring glorious freedom. But finally and vitally, the new creation is not yet And it's essential we get this right, because otherwise we'll become frustrated and disillusioned with following Christ in this world. As we witness decay and death, we'll endlessly ask God, why? So we need to be clear. This present age is one where the new creation has not yet come. And the Christian life is not easy. The Apostle Paul himself speaks often of his own sufferings. And there's much suffering that God's people experience around the world in general, just as a result of living in a fallen world. But there's a particular suffering that comes through following Christ. And yet, verse 18, there is a coming glory that will be revealed in us. But for now, verse 19, we wait in eager expectation We wait in eager expectation, even amidst our present trials. We wait in eager expectation like a child, eagerly waiting for that birthday gift. We wait with eager expectation as we look forward in the same way to a holiday. We have eager expectation. Or maybe it's the eager expectation of that air conditioning unit finally being installed. We're to have an eager and excited expectation. We need to understand that the new creation is not yet. As John Stott's written, suffering and glory are welded together. They both characterize the two ages. We live now in the age of suffering, but look forward to the age of glory. We need patient eagerness and eager patience. And you see, where the prosperity gospel gets this so wrong is how it tries to over-realize the coming glory. It doesn't want to wait patiently. Like an immature child, or like Veruca's salt from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it screams out, I want it now. But that's complete misunderstanding of the gospel. And it leaves people only disillusioned and disappointed because the glory isn't promised now. It's not yet. You see, Jesus is clear and Paul is clear. It's suffering now and glory later. 
In fact, as Paul writes very clearly in verse 17 of this same chapter, the verse just before our reading, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We can't avoid the clear dynamic, suffering, then glory. Commonwealth Games are coming up, aren't they? Maybe you've got a ticket from the ballot. And for the athletes, the glory of medals is in view. But that glory will only come to those athletes who have committed to years of suffering in their training. Only through their suffering can they have the glory. And as Paul writes elsewhere, athletes, they they fight for a prize that doesn't last. It fades even that glory. And it's not a certain glory. Not every athlete wins. For the Christian, there is a certain glory that will come for all of us. So as Christians, we suffer now in this world in various ways. We experience frustration, decay, and finally death. We suffer marginalization, perhaps at times persecution for our faith. And we suffer in our daily fight to put sin to death in our lives. As Paul writes, by the Spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the body. All these aspects of suffering are very real. And they can be quite heavy. And so, verse 26, as we groan sometimes in these trials, it's comforting to know that God's Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when suffering bites so hard that we do not even know what we ought to pray for. Paul writes, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Isn't that beautiful? God knows you. God hears you. God even intercedes for you. Where do you go in the face of suffering? You see, Christians do suffer, but glory is coming. And as we suffer, all creation groans with us. It groans, verse 22, as in the pains of childbirth. And Paul uses this timeless illustration to cement our understanding of suffering being so integral to glory. You see, with the birth of a child, there are great labor pains. But the presence of those very pains is a prelude to a coming joy, a coming glory of new life, and how wonderful it is. And so it is with God's people. As we wait now, as we even groan now for the new creation. And you see, all creation waits, verse 19, in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And that's because the apex, the high point of God's new creation will be the revelation of his children. As those who follow Jesus realize his adoption of them fully and are invested with glory. The new creation will be glorious, but it is not yet. But... Not yet implies it is coming. Like the little voice on a journey that asks, are we there yet? We reply, not yet, but we're on the way. 
The new creation is not yet, but it is on the way. Verse 18, it will be revealed. And as Paul writes in verse 24, who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, the Christian hope is something that is to come. So we need to wait patiently. We need to patiently endure in this age of suffering, but also have eager and excited expectation for the glorious new creation where all our hopes and all our longings will be finally fulfilled. As Stuart Olliot has written in his commentary on Romans, our present sufferings are like an ugly porch which leads to the threshold of an unspeakably glorious mansion. For there will come a day when God calls time on this age and sets all things right by ushering in a new era. But to be part of that new creation, we need to be following Jesus now. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we following Jesus today? Not just coming to church, but are we following Jesus today? The new creation is coming, and it will bring glorious freedom. But the new creation is not yet. So let us prayerfully and patiently persevere in the Christian life in this age, knowing that God's spirit within us guarantees our future glory to come. Amen.